0: I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 42. Genesis chapter 42 is where we're going to spend our time together this morning. We've been uh, following the story of Joseph and uh, Joseph's brothers. They're kind of a story lot, aren't they, Joseph's brothers? Uh, the firstborn... Son, Reuben, uh, he had uh, sexual relations with his father's concubine in an attempt to uh, usurp his father as the head of the family. Uh, The second and third sons, Simeon and Levi, well, they're guilty of premeditated genocide in the slaughter of the unsuspecting Shechemites. The fourth son, Judah, impregnated his daughter-in-law, Tamar, who had disguised herself as a Canaanite prostitute. Now, on top of that, all 10 of them had taken young Joseph and stripped him of his robe and threw him in the pit with the intention of killing him, and which was only averted by passing caravan and uh, his sale into slavery in Egypt. Things aren't looking very promising for the promise of God to Abraham. I will make of you a great nation, Genesis 12, verse 2. These 10 brothers, they, they need to be confronted with their guilt. They need an awakening of the conscience. They need to grieve their sin. They need to genuinely repent. The future of, of God's promises are resting on these changes. They are in desperate need of God's grace and they don't even know it. Does God know what he's doing with this covenant family? Yes, yes, he absolutely knows what he is doing. And we'll see why this is good news for us today. So I invite you to follow along with me as I read for us Genesis chapter 42, beginning in verse 1. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. So 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. "'Where do you come from?' he said. "'They said, "'From the land of Canaan, to buy food.' "'And Joseph recognized his brothers, "'but they did not recognize him. "'And Joseph remembered the dreams "'that he had dreamed of them. "'And he said to them, "'You are spies, you have come to see "'the nakedness of the land.' "'They said to him, "'No, my lord, your servants have come to buy food. "'We are all sons of one man, we are honest men. "'Your servants have never been spies.' He said to them, No, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And they said, We, your servants, are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, It is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him... Bring your brother while you remain confined, that your words may be tested, whether there is truth in you. Or else, by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, do this, and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody, and let the rest go, and carry grain for the famine of your households, and bring your youngest brother to me, so your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us, and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away from them and wept, and he returned to them and spoke to them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. Then they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed. And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of his sack. He said to his brothers, my money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. At this, their hearts failed them. And they turned, trembling to one another, saying, what is this that God has done to us? When they came to Jacob, their father in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man, the Lord of the land, spoke roughly to us and took us to be spies of the land. But we said to him, We are honest men. We have never been spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of our father. One is no more, and the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the land, said to us, By this I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me and take grain for the famine of your households and go your way. Bring your youngest brother to me and then I shall know that you are not spies but honest men and I will deliver your brother to you and you shall trade in the land. As they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their fathers saw the, their bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more and Simeon is no more. And now you would take Benjamin? All this has come against me. Then Reuben said to his father, Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands and I will bring him back to you. But he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. May God bless the reading of his word. This isn't the first time there's been a famine in the land of Canaan, and that God's people have uh, subsequently sought relief from Egypt. In Genesis chapter 12, you may remember Abraham and Sarah, they went down to Egypt to sojourn there for the famine was severe in the land. Right, and that's where Abraham lied about his wife, Sarah, being a sister and where they ended up receiving God's blessing in spite of themselves. Uh, then in Genesis 26, there was another famine in the land of Canaan. And Isaac and Rebekah, they appear to uh, be on their way down to Egypt because the Lord says to them, Uh, Do not go down to Egypt, dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land and and I will be with you and will bless you. So this is now the the third time there has been a famine in the land of Canaan. And God's people are again looking to Egypt for relief. Verse 1. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? Behold, I have heard... But there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die. So all of Joseph's brothers, they go down to Egypt except for one. Verse four, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother with his brothers for he feared that harm might happen to him. After Joseph disappeared, when he was sent by his father to uh, check up on His brothers, uh, Jacob is likely a little hesitant to send uh, Benjamin along with them. No doubt the, the brothers are aware of Jacob's hesitation. It's poking and prodding at their conscience already. When the brothers get to Egypt, they come to Joseph, who is governor over the land and who is in charge of the distribution of grain, and they bow before him, which of course harkens back to Joseph's two dreams about his brothers bowing down to him. So clearly, Joseph hasn't forgotten the dreams that God had given him. But as soon as as Joseph saw them, verse 7 says that he recognized them. Now you can just imagine the flood of emotions that must have welled up inside of Joseph as soon as he saw his brothers. Uh, If you've ever seen uh, the Pixar movie, uh, inside out, uh, I can imagine all of the emotions in that movie coming out in Joseph. You know you've got anger, you've got sadness, you've got joy, you've got fear, you've got disgust, all right all, all of this, all of this emotion and and Joseph has to somehow keep it all together. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them. However, the brothers don't recognize him, which isn't exactly a surprise. I mean, the last time they saw him, he was a 17-year-old young man. Uh, it's been at least 20 years since then. Uh, you've got the 13 years of, of uh, slavery and imprisonment in Egypt. And then you've got uh, seven years of, of prosperity in Egypt. And so after, you know, two decades, Joseph's not a teenager anymore, but he, he's grown up and he's become Egyptianized as well. He's got an Egyptian name. He's got an Egyptian wife. He's wearing Egyptian clothing and he's speaking the Egyptian language. The brothers have no reason to think that this man before whom they are bowing could be their brother. And so the question is: How will Joseph respond after seeing his brothers twenty years after being deceived by them? Well, in Genesis chapter thirty-three, we saw how Esau responded right after seeing his brother Jacob twenty years after being deceived by him. How did he respond? Well, Genesis thirty-three verse four: We read that Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. There was brotherly reconciliation. How does Joseph respond? Verse seven, he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. In verse nine, Joseph says to them, "You are spies, you have come to see the nakedness of the land." Back in Genesis 37, Joseph had been sent by his father you know to, to spy out his, his brothers and but here he accuses them of being spies. And it was a it was a legitimate accusation too. Right? Egypt was situated in a very strategic location. I often feared that spies would would come in and, and investigate the land. And of course when you're in the middle of a famine and ten grown men from another country come before you, you you have to you have to wonder what's going on. But the brothers, they emphasize to Joseph that they are not spies. Rather, they are sons of one man. They have different mothers, but they have the same father. They are not a spy ring. They're a family. They have not come to spy out Egypt. They've come to buy food from Egypt. But Joseph insists, no, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. At this, the brothers mentioned that their, their youngest brother, Benjamin is with their father in the land of Canaan. And that one is no more. And that's a a reference to to Joseph. Now, at this point, they they don't go into detail about what happened to this brother who was no more. And in actuality, they have no idea what happened to him after they sold him into slavery, sold him to that caravan headed for Egypt. They, They presume that he's likely dead, but they don't know. They just say that they're, they're bro- they, they had a brother, but now they, they no longer have said brother. He's gone now. So, so Joseph decides to put his brothers to the test. In verse 15, Joseph says to them, By this you shall be tested by the life of Pharaoh. You shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Joseph tells them that they are going to go and they're going to come back with their youngest brother, Benjamin. Now, certainly Joseph would love to see his brother from the same mother, his brother that he hasn't seen in many, many years. But at the same time, Joseph wants to see if his brothers are in fact honest men, as they say. The Hebrew word for uh, tested Here is the same word used in Psalm 66, verse 10. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. So just as uh, someone tests a piece of metal to see if it is is authentic and without impurity, so also Joseph wants to test his brothers to determine their worth. He, He wants to see what kind of people they are. He wants to see if his brothers are the the same men who sold him into slavery 20 years ago or if they have changed. Joseph gives his brothers three days in prison to think about it, which is just a test, you know, just a test, a taste of of the years that Joseph spent in prison. And, And it's here where they really begin to think to themselves, what have we done? After three days in prison, Joseph continues to put the pressure on them. In verse 18, Joseph says to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. It's an interesting phrase. For I fear God. Et ha Elohim. Not once in this exchange have the brothers mentioned God. Yet this Egyptian has. In essence, Joseph is saying, I fear God. Do you? All those years ago, when they threw Joseph into the pit and and sold him into slavery, they they did not have much fear of God. They feared having to conceal Joseph's blood, right? They, They feared getting caught, but they did not fear God. Will they fear God now? Initially, Joseph told his brothers to send one of them home to bring their youngest brother down to Egypt while the rest of them remained confined. But, but he flips that in, in verse 19. If, if you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined here where you are in custody and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households and bring your youngest brother to me so your words will be verified and you shall not die. So just one has to go or just one has to remain confined and the rest, the rest can go. But my, how the tables have turned. Right, the, the oppressors have become the oppressed. The, the ones who deceived their father have been deceived by their brother. The ones who sold their brother into slavery are now in servitude to Joseph. On the surface it looks like Joseph is being overly harsh with his brothers, right? The fact that he speaks roughly to them, the fact that he calls them spies, the fact that he puts them in prison, you know, all of it looks like retribution. All of it looks like payback for all the ways that Joseph suffered. But Joseph knows what he's doing. I believe he he wants them to experience a little bit of what he experienced in order to, to prick their consciences. In other words, this is not retribution. It's an act of redemption. Joseph, in a sense, is trying to save his brother. Now, eventually, all of this does. It invokes feelings of guilt among the brothers. In verse 21, they say to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. Right, so they've just finished saying that, hey, we are honest men. We are truthful men. And in fact, it was true that they hadn't come to spy out the land and that they had come to Egypt to buy grain. You know, in in that regard, they were honest. But three days in prison jogs their memory. In, In truth, the brothers say, we're actually not all that honest. In truth, we're actually guilty men. We we get a little bit more of the story than we did back in in Genesis chapter 37. Here we learn that Joseph didn't necessarily go down into the pit quietly, but that he begged them to stop and they, they hadn't listened. And so for 20 years, they lived with this guilt. For 20 years, they kept the truth from their father. For 20 years, they, they've said, we are 12 brothers, but one is no more. For 20 years, they had convinced themselves that what's done is done. For 20 years. The other day, I heard a story about a retired Christian Reformed church minister who was recently convicted of killing an eight-year-old girl. On August 15th, 1975, Gretchen Harrington went missing. The police spoke with several people, including the retired minister, who told police that he hadn't seen her that day. The case eventually went cold until earlier this year when new evidence surfaced. Investigators were able to track down the retired minister who then confessed to his crimes. For 48 years, he had lived with the guilt of what he did to that little girl. Joseph's brothers, have, have, they, they've lived with, with their own deception for 20 years. Now that's, that's long enough. But soon, it all comes out. In verse 22, Reuben says to them, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. In Genesis chapter nine, verses five to six, the Lord said to Noah and his family, for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it. And from man, From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed for God made man in his image. Right. So though the the brothers did not actually shed their brother's blood, for all they knew his blood had been shed and it was now on their heads. Right now, their brother's blood had, had cried out to God and, and God's hand was was no doubt upon them. Their sins have, had found them out. You know, because they did not respond to Joseph's dis- distress, Sarat, so now this distress, Hasara, has come upon them. Distress for distress. Now, now they don't know that that Joseph can understand them and and that he's hearing their whole conversation. And So as as Joseph is is hearing all this take place, he turns away and he weeps. Because he's hearing the truth for the first time. He's hearing their, their guilty consciences crying out. There, there will be more tears when, when he sees Benjamin and, and when Judah offers to, to take Benjamin's place and, and finally when he sees his father again. But, but here, Joseph is so moved by their expressions of guilt that he cannot control himself and he weeps. But there, there was further testing needed. And so after composing himself, he, he comes back and he, he allows one of the brothers to stay behind in prison as collateral for the the brother they promised to bring back. Now, now we would expect that to to almost be Reuben, right? Because he's the he's the firstborn. He's the leader. He, he's also the the one who had sexual relations with Joseph's mother's uh, maidservant Bilhah. But Joseph doesn't put Reuben in the pit. Instead, uh, verse twenty four tells us that uh, he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. And, and we wonder, you know, why why Simeon? Is it because he's the next oldest? Is it because he's a man of violence? Is it because uh, he and Levi, they slaughtered the, the Shechemites and made their father Jacob a stench in the land? We, we really don't know why. And for whatever reason, Joseph binds up Simeon and he puts him in Prison. And so the the question is Will Joseph's brothers come back for Simeon? Or will they leave him in the pit, just like they had planned to do with Joseph? Will they come back, or will they leave Simeon in the Egyptian prison? Uh, Joseph further tests his brothers by placing their money in their sacks. Verse 25. Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. Now, now Joseph, he's actually providing for his brothers here. He's actually taking care of them. You see, he had every reason to take them for everything they were worth. But instead, he provides for them in their time of need. Joseph shows grace towards them, though they had done nothing to deserve such kindness, which is the very nature of grace, is it not getting what we deserve? Now, whether Joseph intends this or not, his actions actually instill the fear of God in the brothers. Because when when the brothers stop for lodging on the way back to Canaan, one of them discovers the money that is in his sack. Verse twenty eight. At this, their hearts failed them. And they turned trembling to one another saying, what is this that God has done to us? Now there's a, there, there's a sense of irony in their use of that expression. In Genesis chapter three, verse 13, God asked the woman, what is this that you have done? In Genesis 4, verse 10, God asked Cain, what have you done? In Genesis 12, verse 18, Pharaoh asked Abraham, what is this you have done to me? In Genesis 20, verse 9, Abimelech asked Abraham, what have you done to us? In each of these cases, the expression has been used to interrogate the guilty. But here, it's the guilty who use the expression. What is this that God has done to us? Their their question implies ignorance as to what God is doing, but the brothers know full well that God is is bringing their guilt out into the open. One commentator writes, uh, the brothers who knew they were guilty could perceive that it was God's retributive hand. For this was the second time that they had come home with money, having abandoned a brother to prison in Egypt. Later in verse 35, when they show their father Jacob the money in their sacks, it says that they were afraid. Why are they afraid? Why are they afraid? They're afraid because their guilt was out in the open. Uh, After Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, they heard the sound of the Lord God uh, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And it says that they were afraid and hid themselves. Why? Because they saw that they were naked. Adam and Eve saw that their guilt was out in the open and that they were exposed and it terrified them to think of what God might do to them. But this is actually a gift from God. A godly fear is a gift from God. The fear of God acknowledges that God is is worthy to receive Power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. The fear of God acknowledges that God is holy and righteous and just. Now, I'm not entirely convinced that the brothers have this godly fear, just yet, yeah, but I think they're on on the way to it. Right? I, I think at, you know at this point, like Adam and Eve, they see that they can no longer hide behind their guilt. They can no longer hide behind their 20 years of, of covering this up and, and that they are exposed before God and man. And it terrifies them to think of what God might do to them. But I believe it's an indication that God's at work. <laughs> what well, what they don't understand and what we might not understand is that it's a good thing when God exposes sin. Right when We are hiding behind guilt for 20 years. Years. It's, it's a crushing load that we were never intended to bear. When, when God exposes our sin, when He brings our works of darkness into His glorious light, it's not because God hates us, it's because He loves us. God loves us so much that He doesn't, he doesn't leave us in our guilt, but instead draws our attention to His majesty so that we would walk in freedom. As his children. Right? That's the fear of God. It's a gift that God gives to his children to awaken us to his glory. Right? It shouldn't cause us to hide. It should cause us to run. It should cause us to run to him for grace and mercy, the only place where such such is found. It should cause us to run to the foot of the cross. So, in that regard, godly fear is a gift. It's a good gift from from God. Now, now the brothers are in a predicament. They they report these things to their father Jacob, including the requirements of of bringing Benjamin to Egypt to prove themselves honest and to retrieve Simeon. They they can't return to Egypt. Without Benjamin, which obviously doesn't sit well with Jacob. In verse 36, Jacob says to them, you, you have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And now you would take Benjamin? Right? It's, it's like, where, where is Joseph? He's gone. Where is Simeon? Well, he's not here either. Right? And, and now you want to take my My beloved? Benjamin, the son of my old age, the the son of my favorite wife, you want to take Benjamin from me? Not a chance. So in in an effort to to persuade his father, Reuben says to him, well, okay, kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands and I will bring him back to you. Well, how generous of Reuben to have his two sons killed if he somehow doesn't bring back Benjamin. Benjamin. Right? He doesn't offer up himself. No, he instead he offers up his children. How, how magnanimous. But J- Jacob refuses the offer. In verse uh, 38, Jacob says, uh, My son shall not go down with you, as a matter of fact, for his brother is dead and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. Right, I mean, at this point, with Joseph being gone, he's already going to to Sheol with sorrow. It would just compound. Grief upon grief would would compound. And and that's essentially where this part of the story ends. It ends unresolved. It ends in a kind of stalemate. It's like, okay, well, one brother's still in Egypt and uh, the father isn't letting the... The remaining son come with us. So what happens now? Right. It, it begs the question, will they return to Egypt? Right. Do they have any reason to return to Egypt? They have their money. They have their grain. Their father's not letting their, their youngest brother go. Right. Do they really need to go back to Egypt to get Simeon? That's, that's the test Will they come back for their brother? Have they changed or are they still the same? What will they do now that they see their sin? That's the question. And that's the question that's before us this morning. Maybe there's something we've hidden in the darkness that needs to come out into God's glorious light Something in our past that no one has ever known, and that we've convinced ourselves that uh, what's done is done, and that needs to be confessed. Uh, maybe there's uh, something we're, we're struggling with right now that, that nobody knows about. You know, where, where we tell people we're honest, when in fact, when in truth, we're actually guilty. Here is the the challenging good news before us this morning, and that that we see in Scripture. Uh, John chapter 3, verse 19 says, The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. The, the, The reality is we naturally want the darkness. We, we naturally want to hide from God and man. We, we naturally don't want our sin exposed. But the good news is that Christ has come into the world. Titus chapter two, verse 14 says that Christ gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us and to make us his very own people. How good is that? Right? It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how many years you've been carrying around your guilt. Though we were his enemies, God showed grace to us. And he did this by sending his son to suffer and die on our behalf, in our place so that through faith in Christ we would be forgiven of all our sins and we'd be cleansed from all our sins and that we'd be able to walk in the newness of life and the freedom of that forgiveness isn't that good? isn't that rich? so church we we don't have to walk in the darkness anymore We don't, we don't have to to live with the burden of our guilt any longer. We can enjoy the freedom of forgiveness that is found in Jesus Christ alone by God's grace, church. He invites us into the light of his presence so that we would be cleansed from all our sins and will one day enjoy him forever and ever and ever. Have you believed this good news? I hope so. I hope so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, We ask for your help. For those of us here who are saying, We're we're honest men, we're honest women, when in truth we're guilty. For those here who are are tired of carrying the burden of their guilt, we pray that you would make us aware of our sin. And by your grace, make us to to run to you, to flee to the cross. There is forgiveness and rest for our weary souls. We pray this.